what's on my heart to share tonight is is about God's self-revelation as the light and the word and the name. And I'm going to tell you my agenda up front. Uh, my agenda is that I, I believe that a lot of folks are coming to an understanding that God is, is much more inclusive than we ever imagined, that he has pervaded our world in ways that we didn't anticipate, that he has included all people in his plan. And um, as, as we begin to get uh, a greater idea of how expansive the love of God is, higher, wider, deeper, and longer than we could ask or imagine or conceive, yeah, and, and the truth is you won't get your head around it. And if you can, your God is still too small, right? And he's too small to fit in your head, too small to fit in your Bible box, too small to fit in any theological system. And you are going to find him in surprising ways and surprising people. The radical in inclusion of what God has done through Jesus. Now, but my agenda is not just to promote that because I feel like many of you are on that journey already. Here's the temptation or the question at least. In light of a radically inclusive God, what, what does this do to the uniqueness of Jesus Christ? And so, and, and then it become, become, becomes a question about like, well, if, if the Christ is, is that God's spirit that has filled the whole universe, what do we make of Jesus of Nazareth or do we even need to until some of my friends who have moved from fundamentalism into inclusion are now moving beyond that into moving beyond Jesus. And I, I want to say boldly, that's like a, a catastrophic mistake. And, and I believe that, that a high, high Christology, that means theology of Christ, a high Christology would mean that without apology, I will say, Jesus is my God and I worship him. And that is now rattling some of my progressive friends because they're like, yeah, but what does this mean about inclusion? It's like, it means good things. Don't worry. But And so, um, so I would want to caution against trends that want us to move like let's say from Jesus to the Christ in a more in a more abstract way that leave behind the reality of his humanity which by the way is permanent he has not abandoned his humanity forever we worship the god man and um or god human i suppose he's now transcended gender in that sense right I, and, but so I want to talk about the, the 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 light and the word and then the name tonight and how for the, for me that has now become really integrated his this radical inclusion and glorious uniqueness and so um, we'll start out with let's say uh, Christmas we were we had Christmas and we heard the Christmas story in Matthew Mark and Luke largely. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke is where you get the virgin birth. It's where you get the shepherds, where you get, you know, Herod the Great and, and, and the slaughter of the infants. You get the, the wise men coming. All of that stuff, that's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, but I want to launch out from John's very 
bizarre cosmic Christmas. Because the, really, John chapter 1, what we call the prologue of John about, about the word, um, really, that, that's a Christmas story, or we, we would better call it an incarnation story that's true 365 days of a year. But since we have a Christmas tree, um, we may as well talk about that. St. John's cosmic... Thank you. St. John's cosmic Christmas, people. Like, I mean, look at the... And so I, I want to start then by, by reading the prologue to you. And you're going to recognize it. But I want you to really listen for the words word and light. Word and light, because that's where we'll start. And in fact, if you would like to participate, just, I don't know, what would be a good thing to do when I say word or light? Say amen or put up your hand or what do you, what do you think, Mike? Jamba. <laughs> We're going to put the jamba in the jousa. <laughs> Ouch. I know. Let's echo it. So whenever I say word... Do like a, a echo it back. So we're going to practice first. In the beginning was the word. word. All right. And, uh, and this life was the light, light of men or whatever. Okay, good. We got it. We got it. And I'll help you with my finger. Okay. Pro prologue of John. In the beginning was the word. word. The word, word was with God and the word was God and the word was with God in the beginning all things came into existence through him not one thing that exists came into existence without him life was in him and this life was the light of the human race the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not overcome it there was a man called John who was sent from God he came as evidence to be a witness for the light so that everyone might believe through him. He was not himself the light, but he came to give evidence about the light. Is this working for you? The true light, which gives light to every human being. Whoa was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to anyone who did accept him, he gave them the right to be called God's children. Theolo theological point. It doesn't say he gave them the right to become God's children. He gave them the right to be called that. And in John, God's children are those who imitate him. It's not, that, it's not that you aren't God's children. You just don't get to be called that if you don't love Jesus. What? Well, we'll come back to that. I don't even know if that's a true statement. I just said it, though. So, but, but, it's, but it's not about... Is the prodigal son God's... Was the prodigal son... The father's son. Yeah, yeah. Even when he left. Yeah, yeah. Even in the pig pen. Yeah. Does he get to be called God's son then? Mm, well, when he comes home, it makes more sense. <laughs> I don't know. Let's get back to the text. 
they were born not from blood or from fleshly desire, but it was not from the intention of man, but from God. They were born from God. And the Word became flesh and lived among us. We gazed on his glory, glory like that of the Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. Jesus was a witness for him loud and clear. This is the one, he said, that I was speaking about when I told you the one who comes after me ranks ahead of me, but he was before me. Yes, it's out of his fullness that we have all received grace indeed upon grace. The law, you see, was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one's ever seen God. God, the only begotten Son, who's intimately close to the Father, he has brought him to light. Well, got it. <laughs> Nicely done. Nicely done. Um, before we go on, I want to come back to this thing about being called God's children. I believe that the Bible is abundantly clear that everyone is God's child. Paul says to the Athenian philosopher, pagan idolaters, we are all God's offspring. In the genealogy of Jesus Christ in the Gospel of Luke, it tracks the genealogy of Christ back to Adam, the son of God. Humanity are the sons and daughters of the living God. Then why is John peculiar about this? Who gets to be called that? Well, for him, it's a specific debate. The Jews are saying, we're Abraham's children. And Jesus is like, no, actually, you're Satan's children. They're like, what? How could you say we're Satan's children? He's like, well, because you do what he does. And you get to be called God's children when you receive his son. But as long as you want to murder his son, you're like Cain. You know, it's like, so he's not making a statement about their being. He's just making a statement about who they're acting like. So that's, what, that's why John will talk that way. It's like, like, you can call yourself what you're acting like. Christians should not call themselves Christians if they're not acting like Christians. You don't get to call yourself that. Which is a funny thing, right? I, 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 uh, so that's kind of just because of John's debate. Jesus debates in John with the Pharisees who were so into, we're the sons of God. It's like, eh, we're the sons of Abraham. Well, if you were, you wouldn't want to try to kill his son, would you? So that's what that's about. All right, but anyway, that was an aside. Don't do asides, Brad. Light. Let's start with the light. Okay, you don't have to say that anymore now. What I'm going to do now, the next little bit, all I'm going to do is go back through the text and summarize the main points about light, word, word. word. and name. So, so just to summarize, here's my bullet points from what we already read about the light. And, and I, I'm doing it to, to re-emphasize some stuff that we usually, we know the prologue of John 1 too well. I know people who can say it by memory in English and in Greek, and they miss it. Something about just slow down a little bit. This is why I'm, I'm really good at Greek in this way. I'm so bad at it that it means, makes me read slow. And when I read slow, I notice stuff that I didn't notice when I read fast, right? And so, so the experts can, can race through some of these things. But so first of all, uh, what it says about it, light is that this is, so this is the light of the human race. It's the light of the world. It's not the light of good Christians. It's not of the light of those who have the gospel right. 
It's not of the light of the, this is the light of the world, the light that has penetrated all humankind in some way. And it's a light that shines in the darkness, not just in the light places. It's a light you're going to find in the abyss. It's the light that's gone down, down into prisons and brothels, into city soleil in the darkness of, you know, Haiti's poverty, and into downtown Eastside Vancouver. With, and, and it's in the crack houses. This light goes to dark places. It loves to do that. It went into Hades and came back. Sean the place up. I think there's no darkness in, in there anymore. I mean, it's just this is this is the early church. They said he the light went into Hades and the darkness didn't overcome it. It was a flash of like such brilliant light, like a welder's torch illuminated the whole place and changed it obliterated darkness and um, and that there's a and then John the Baptist comes and also John who's writing this comes and what they are is witnesses to the light so the light does want to witness somehow the, the witnesses not Christians for too long we've been we've tried to be lawyers like lawyering God lawyering people or we've been tried to be prosecutors or judges and jury, We're, we've been everybody in the in the court except the witness. And so, what does a witness do? A witness tells you what they've seen and heard. And you might be really suspicious of lawyers, but people listen to witnesses. And so, so uh, John's a witness of this light, and uh, he's calling for belief in the light, and he's giving evidence of the light. Hopefully I'll do some of that tonight. And it's the true light. It's the true light. There's some false lights out there. There's even there's there's ways call it counterfeit ways that are not the Jesus way, but that will sometimes put a veneer of Jesus talk on them. And we want to watch the, there's a true light. But and then this amazing verse, there's two ways to translate it. So one way to translate is the true light, which gives light to every human being, was coming into the world. So it's talking about the light was coming into the world, shining on everybody. The other way to translate it is the true light was giving light to everyone who comes into the world. So the thing coming into the world is everybody who's born. But it kind of doesn't matter which way you translate it. John's good at ambiguities. He, he likes double meanings. He's, he's like amazing at double meanings. And so it kind of doesn't matter. The point is the light shines on everybody somehow. And that you, that you can turn to that light. We'll come back to that. Let's talk about the word a bit. All right, let's the word. Okay. So to re repeat that, so the word is from the beginning. The word was with God. The word was what was God. I mean, by the time I was four years old, we were rattling that off. And because and we, as a young Baptist, we really wanted to emphasize that, that Jesus is, 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 he's the creator and that Jesus is this word. And I really believe that. I like to now add some things to that and say, like, A, um, uh, Jesus is the word of God. The Bible is a witness to the word. The Bible is not the word of God. The Bible is a witness to the word of God. The word of God grew a beard. Right? So the, the word, Jesus is the word. And that, that the whole cosmos came from this word. 
And so, so I like the idea of the word is also a voice, right? You could, you could read the whole passage again. One translation does this. In the beginning, there was a voice. The voice was with God and the voice. And that's really lovely for some of the scientific stuff around string theory and sound and all that. But so the voice, the voice speaks because it's when God creates the heavens and the earth, he does it by his voice. He speaks a word. But now we're saying that this word that spoke everything into being is a person. What? This is amazing. And uh, my dear friend Brian Zond, what he also likes to say, Jesus is the word of God in this way. Jesus is what God has to say about himself. Isn't that amazing? You should memorize that. Jesus is what God has to say about himself. Yes, he's the word of God. He's the word about God. He's the word with God, and he's the word who is God. And he made everything. And then he had to be toilet trained. That's like crazy. Okay, so because, because this word became flesh, he assumed a human nature, and we're not just talking humanity. He assumed the human condition. He underwent the trials of what it is to be human in a way that God himself can now empathize with us and we can say, but I went through this. And he goes, I know exactly how you feel because he does. And so this word becomes flesh. And then, and, and then I, I love that um, very important verse. Nobody has ever seen God. What? The only begotten God, who's intimately close to Abba, he has brought him to light. Light. Okay. But the, the idea there is that this word, this word did something radical. This word, word revealed God is Abba. So we were having a chat before, and Barb really walked me through this. This is like, this is amazing. Where's Barb? Okay, there you are. So we got into this. To, we, she just help. She helps me think, and so she was asking this really hard question: Is there is there something different about humanity before Christ and after Christ? And I got thinking about this. And I, if you would look at our DNA, you probably wouldn't have seen a change. How has humanity changed after the incarnation of Jesus Christ? Well, here's one way. Let's start with this premise. You become like the God you worship. Whatever ideas you have about God trickle down into how you live and in, uh, into how religion works and into how cultures behave and to how people groups exist. Okay? So before Christ, everybody thought God was like Zeus. I mean just about everybody, including the Jews. The Jewish version of Yahweh before Christ has some breakthroughs around that he's gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness. Some breakthroughs, but I would say that the, the, the general population of the world, including most Jews, had a very Zeus-like power, violence, tribalistic version of God, and that trickled down to how they live. And God sees this, and he sees us descending as a human race towards self-destruction like we already did once in Genesis 6. And he's like, what is God to do? So God 
God comes down, he assumes human flesh, and he becomes the new head of the human race. In Adam, we were, we were heading to non-being. In Christ, he arrests that trajectory. And what's different after Christ? Here's what's different. Jesus redefines God completely and reveals God as Abba. And that this Abba is loving, caring, forgiving, perfect father love. Love, right? And now God is love becomes the dominant Christian theology that, that permeates the world. And the Holy Spirit is poured out on all flesh. And guess what? Here's a weird thing. When I meet people who don't know Jesus yet, and I say, could you describe God? They don't describe Zeus. They describe Jesus. It's amazing. People who've never met him will tell me, if there is a God, he is loving caring and forgiving. I'm like, how did that happen? That happened because Jesus Christ showed up and absolutely redefined God and pours out his spirit on all flesh so that total pagans even instinctively know God is love. Isn't that crazy? Ah, getting goosebumps. So he reveals God as Abba and this is a new thing. And, um, and, 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 and it's a massively unique thing, but it's a gloriously inclusive thing. Suddenly, the whole world is instinctively turning towards the light that looks like love. Even prior to hearing the gospel. And Jesus did that. That didn't just happen. It wasn't just human instinct. Human instinct was Zeus divine revelation that's shedding light on the whole world looks like love even before they know the name speaking of the name the light has a name the light that shines has a name the word that speaks has a name by this name we know god god is abba by this name we're saved whatever that means by this name, this is the name above every name, and the name is Jesus Christ. And so that's the part where it's like, whoa, okay, now you're sounding like a fundamentalist. Absolutely. This is fundamental, fundamental truth to our understanding of God is that Jesus Christ is what God has to say about himself. Now, here's the thing. These are some cosmic thoughts cosmic thoughts um, that John 1 reveals in, in his cosmic Christmas story that the word and the name and the light that that's all the same person it's it's one and the same and that this one in the same light this one in the same word this one in the same name that they they shine on speak to reveal God to anyone and then what happens is even though the light's shining everywhere even though the word is speaking everywhere, he's looking for a witness. And the witness, what's the witness's job? John, John tells us, the witness, the witness says, oh, Jesus is the light. Jesus is the word. It's like, ah, that, and that, that's where we might run into some blockage. Okay, so what do we want to say about that? I, I want to say that sometimes people, 
that I know people who turn to the light before they know the name of Jesus. Have you ever met someone like that? Plenty of them. There, and, and, and yes, Jesus is that light. They don't know that Jesus is the light, but they know there's a light, and they deliberately respond to that light, and that's awesome. And some of those people, in responding to that light, connect with the word. In other words, they begin even praying to this light or love. Oh, yeah. Get ready. So they get begin praying to this light or love, and this light or love begins shining on the, and, and even speaking to them. So now they've got a relationship with the light that I'll call the word because it's like communication, prayer, meditation. Re, I mean, and, and, and but, but they could have that relationship a long time before they hear the name. Like Cornelius. In Acts. Did I talk about him last time I was here? No. Oh my goodness. So here's Cornelius. He's not a Christian. Definitely not a Christian. But the book of Acts, in the book of Acts, God reveals to us through Peter. God speaks and he says that, that A, Cornelius um, had authentic faith practices that counted before God. And those were that God, that he prayed a lot. And that before he's a Christian, that God heard those prayers. And also it says he gave alms to the poor. He was very generous with poor. And that God noticed his almsgiving and counted it as righteousness. And that before he's a Christian, it's, it says, well, Peter's told by God, do not call unclean what I've called clean. So he's already called clean, and then the word it uses, and he's acceptable to God. So, of course, as an evangelical, I'd say, well, if he died then, where does he go? Bad question. Wrong question. What does the text say? It says that this non-Christian man knows God, prays to God, has God's attention, and is acceptable to God. Now, that's amazing. Not only does he have authentic faith practices, he has verified spiritual experiences, including visions, angelic visitations, and even words of knowledge giving him the damn address of where to go before he has the Holy Spirit, sort of. Isn't that amazing? So, and, 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 but now this is also amazing. So what does God do? God doesn't say, well, then he doesn't need Jesus. What God says is like, wow, this guy is ripe to hear the name of this light that he knows. He's ready to learn the name of the word that he speaks with. He's a Gentile. He's a, he's a Roman soldier Gentile. Totally, you know, so totally not yet a, you know, and, and, and yet he's got a real relationship. And so God's conclusion isn't he doesn't need to know about Jesus. It's, it's more like this. Um, we use the term born again as if that's the beginning. You know there's something before you're born, right? He's, he's been in the womb of God since the incarnation. So when I go before Cornelius before Christ, Cornelius was never before Christ. 
Cornelius was in the womb, growing, getting ready, and then the water breaks. We call it baptism. And then he knows the name. And so God's thing, he's ready. He's now ready to hear the name. And sometimes people aren't ready to hear the name because Christians have so besmirched the name that if you told them the name, they'd turn away from the light. But they already know the light, and that light is Christ. So they have a relationship with him. It's like, so, so at some point, they get ripe enough to hear the name, and they're like, oh, I know him. And guess what he doesn't do? Peter doesn't get him to renounce all his old practices and spirituality. Oh, that was all BS now. No, no, no. It was, it was part of your journey that has culminated in this glorious moment. And I just love that stuff. So, so, so there you go. You've got this inclusive, radical inclusion where God regards Cornelius as acceptable and righteous. And Peter will even say, now I know. That anybody, anywhere, who loves God, whatever that means to them, and does what is right, is acceptable to God. And when you find those people, you can be a witness that says, I know his name. And later we'll talk about why that would be really important. What's missing, because in the story of Cornelius, when he finds out the name, he gets a whole extra inheritance. And the Holy Spirit falls on him. And he starts moving in gifts he didn't have. And you're like, he almost, it's like he moves from servant to son. And now he knows he, the God he knew as master, he knows as Abba. That matters a lot. Okay. So I want to, first, uh, can you come up, Barb? I want you, I would like Barb to share because Barb had an amazing has an amazing testimony <laughs> describing describing this exact Cornelius dynamic. That's what we we'll call it, the Cornelius dynamic. Sure. Tell your story. Hello, everybody. I'm Barb Popovich, Mike's wife, wife Mike's girlfriend and wife. <laughs> well, I was sharing with <clears throat> Brad was sharing this earlier, and I said, "Well, that's what happened to me." Is I had relationship with God. I would I would talk to God as a child and um, commune and pray in my own way, whatever that was. And when I and I told him, I said, I don't say saved, which obviously that would be the vernacular that you would use. <clears throat> but I say when I met love, um, I didn't know. I had heard of Jesus, of course, growing up in church, but my relationship wasn't with Jesus at all. It was with who I called God and who I met to be love. And so in that process of my experience that I had, and Jason, I think you were there when I shared that story before, it was this overwhelming unconditional love and forgiveness. Nobody was um, leading me, witnessing to me or anything. It was, well, it was the Holy Spirit leading me, bringing salvation to me. And so sitting there by myself and crying out in my own way to God, I guess, and help, I'm pathetic, <laughs> I need you, I'm desperate, um, he came to me in perfect love. <laughs> no. <clears throat> but he came to me as perfect love, as unconditional love, as forgiveness that's overwhelming 
that is transforming, that is, and at that moment, you know, looking back, I didn't know all the, the lingo, the Christian lingo at the time, is I was a new creation. And it was that almost not an out-of-body experience, but a, a, I'm a new person now. Who was that old person? The things I used to think, the things I used to do changed instantly and, and seriously in a heartbeat. And so from that point on, of course, I wanted to know who this God is who loved me so completely um, and that chant transformed my life. Then later on, that's when I understood more about Jesus. But at that moment, I knew that I knew that I knew the creator of the universe, the lover of all humanity, and without really knowing the name of Jesus or knowing who he was or how we even fit into the picture. I grew up hearing, yeah, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. I'm like, okay, the Son, the Holy Spirit, God. God was my, my plumb line, but I found out later how that all worked together. So I don't know if that That's was. exactly it. So, so is it, thank you. Let's give her a hand. So just to reiterate how that's a Cornelius experience, she encountered God's spirit, grace is her name, the Holy Spirit, and, 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 and she encountered it as perfect love, which is the light that's been poured out in the whole world even before she recognized that this is about Jesus Christ. And then at some point, then that, then that comes along to, oh, this was him? Mm-hmm. And I'm seeing this more and more. So I'll give you two other quick stories about that. So I have a friend named Scott Erickson. He's a painter. He's an amazing artist. If you're on Instagram, you definitely should follow him, at Scott the Painter. And he told me a story about a friend of his who'd been into Tai Chi for 30 years. You know Tai Chi? It's that slow motion martial arts thing. Meditative, slow motion martial arts. You'll see in Stanley Park, where, near where we live in Vancouver, you'll see old Chinese people doing this really slow thing. And this guy was doing it for 30 years. Um, but an interesting thing happened to him at a young age. When he started doing this, he... He began, while he was doing it, to hear a voice. And the voice would speak to his heart, and he describes the voice as good, beautiful, and peaceful. And it was one of the main attractions for him to keep doing Tai Chi. So he keeps doing Tai Chi, which is rooted in Chinese philosophy and in martial art, nothing to do with with the gospel, nothing to do with the name of Jesus, but he kept doing it and he began to recognize the voice in his heart and he began to trust the voice in his heart and he began to follow the voice in his heart. So now he's, he's connecting with the word, I think. After 30 years, that's a long time to wait, the voice began to say things that reminded him of stuff he was hearing from people who'd mentioned the Bible. And he thought, I should go buy a Bible. He begins, he buys a Bible, and for whatever reason, probably the Holy Spirit led him to start in the book of Romans. And what do you know? Is he's reading Romans. He says, he, he, he uh, what, what's it say? He starts, he starts reading things in Romans the voice had already said to him. And Romans itself, then, the voice 
tells him to go to Romans, the voice in Romans is the same voice. And that voice says the voice is Jesus Christ. He's like, wait a minute. I've been listening to Jesus Christ for 30 years and I didn't even know his name. That's a that's quite a risk on God's part. See, if it was me back in the day, I would have said, you now need to renounce all your Tai Chi. You need to renounce all the, that spirituality. You need to get rid of that voice. In fact, we should probably have an exorcism, you know. And the, this isn't what God did. God, God saw a young man who was looking for light. And he said, I, I, will, I will come to where you are. And I will meet you there and I will nurture your trust in my voice until it's safe to tell you the name without you running away. Interesting. Well, I got to, so that's Scott's story. And we've heard Barb's story. I got to experience my own story with a, a, a drug addict a couple weeks ago. So this drug addict um, has, has been an addict for decades. So I don't know how old she, old she is because, you know, hardcore drug addicts can look older than they are, but she looked like in her 60s to me. And and someone set this up. They said, I, I know this addict, and she needs to do her amends. So in the 12-step program, amends is when you go say you're sorry to somebody you've offended. And they said, she needs to say her amends to a representative of the church because she has judged Christians, and she has judged the church. And, and uh, yes, they've hurt her, but she needs to own her part, which is resentment and judgment. And she won't be free till she can. I'm like, sure. They said, would you meet her? I said, sure, I will. So I meet down at the coffee shop and and uh, and we get talking and she goes through all these amends and, and really sharing what she had done wrong, but also making the church sound like and, and, and they're not all bad because they do this and this and this. And like, I think your amends need to include not just saying that the church is OK. Your amends need to include naming how the church has hurt you and then forgiving them and she said oh so i said tell me about what the church has done and it was no wonder she judged the church her only her only contact with the church was neighbor friends who be, who made her feel like dirt because they were condescending and condemning then their neighbor friends took her off to the church to some Sunday school thing or probably a vacation Bible school, and the church janitor molested her. That's her whole experience of Christians. Well, no wonder. Okay. So out of those woundings, she ends up medicating using drugs and becoming an addict. And this goes on, and she has so many experiences where... where she has near-death experiences like what her heart, she overdoses and they got to bring her back, right? Ten years ago, she has one of these overdoses and she feels her soul leaving her body. In fact, she can see herself leaving her body. And as she leaves her body, she turns and she sees a light and she reaches her hand out to the light because it feels like pure love. And as she reaches out her hand to light, she doesn't go to the light. The light comes to her and enters her and, and indwells her heart for the last 10 years. The light came to live in her. The light saved her life and reached out and indwelled her. Then she begins praying to the light. As an addict, 
not a Christian, 45 minutes a day on her knees praying to the light, listening to the light. That didn't solve all her problems. I got a, that was my 10 minute warning. Um, that didn't solve all her problems. She's still ongoing addict, had more overdoses, been rested. But w- even while she's wallowing in addictions, she's still relating to the light and to the word. And, uh, and so now it's been 10 years. And eventually that light, it's a transforming light. And she, she hooks into NA, Narcotics Anonymous. And now she's just hit her, she's a year and a half sober and she's working her steps and she's doing her amends now. That's step uh, eight and nine. And then, and, um, and so then I, I'm like, this is really fascinating. And I asked her, like, if you're in ANA and you're making progress, tell me, a, tell me about your higher power. Because she doesn't believe in Jesus, but she has this higher power. And she describes this light and where it lives in her and how she listens. I'm like, well, that's, that's really amazing. And, um, and I said, maybe, maybe you're ready to hear the name of the light. Because now you've let the church off the hook for the ways it's hurt you. And I begin to tell her, I believe that if that light and that love that lives in you and you've been relating to for 10 years, embodied in human flesh, it looks just like Jesus. And do you, she, one of the things she confessed is, I, I've judged the Christians and I don't even know what they believe. So I want to tell you what we believe. And I want to tell you specifically how the light who became human treated women. And it's the first time she ever got to hear the story of the woman at the well. The first time she ever got to hear the woman caught in adultery. And, and, and that these, this is her story and this is the name of the one who came to live in her 10 years ago and rescue her from her addictions and from death. And, and here's the th- weird thing. It's like she's working that out now. What do I do with this? She didn't get on her knees in the coffee shop. I'm a Christian now. It's like, no, I need to really think about this. If if that light in me was embodied as Jesus, and this is how he treated women. Hmm. What do I do with this information? Well, I don't know what she'll do with it. I do know this. She's already turned to the light. She already has a relationship with the light, and the light's name is Jesus. Maybe there's nothing more to do, but I think I think now, now she's come to a full term. All right, we've run out of we're getting running out of time, but I want to finish the prepared stuff. I prepared a we're almost there. For those for those that feel like okay, this is kind of out there then, because it almost sounds like you're saying you could be a Christian without being a Christian. And yet there's more. Slide, so I need to make the words bigger. There we go. Um, I, because of that conservative side of me, I want to share two quotes from the second century Christians. So one is Justin Martyr. He's the first apologist for Christianity. He lived just a generation or two at most after, after John the Apostle. And... Um, He said this, Christ is the firstborn of God. His logos, that's the Greek word for word, 
in whom all people share, or we wouldn't even be alive. All who have lived in accordance with the Logos are Christians, even if they've been reckoned atheists. Among these, the Greeks like Socrates, Heraclitus, and the like, he's, he's talking about pagan philosophers who he regards as Christian because they had turned to the light before Jesus even came. Okay? That's Justin Martin. Now, there's another guy, Irenaeus of Lyon. He's the grand disciple of John. John had a disciple named Polycarp. Polycarp's disciple is Irenaeus. Irenaeus is the father of systematic theology, second century also. He could go to his mentor Polycarp and say, what did John say about this? Okay, Irenaeus says this. There is only one and the same God, the Father, and his word has been present to humanity from all time. Although by diverse dispositions and manifold operations, he has from the beginning been saving those who are saved, that is, those who love God and follow his word, each in his own age. So he's thinking, as long as there have been people, Christ, the light of the world, has been shining on them, and, and all those who would turn to that light are in. You know, and, and then Christ comes, and, and on behalf of all humanity, turns humanity back to the Father. Now, th this is more modern, too. So John Wesley, the great evangelist, um, uh, he answers, he believed that, that uh, if you turn to the light and follow the word but don't know the name, okay, that's what we're talking about, right? What happens if you turn to the light, hear the word, but don't know the name? He said, a divine conviction of God and the things of God, even in infant state, like the Tai Chi master or guy, like the, the addict just after she found the light, like, like Barb when she's in fetal position with love on the whole in the Holy Spirit, right? Um, enable, even in infant state, enables everyone who possesses it to fear God. That means honor him. It's not about scaredness and work righteousness. Whosoever in every nation believes thus far, the apostle declares accepted. He's talking about Peter and Cornelius. So then Wesley answers this question. If that's true, if you're acceptable before God by, by turning to the light and engaging the word, what's the advantage then of telling someone about Jesus or someone becoming follower of Jesus? He says, here's two. Two, two advantages. In no, one, in knowing the name, we enjoy the full benefits of a redeemed life. We know, for example, we know Abba, that God is Abba, and we begin to relate to him as children instead of servants. Apart from Jesus, apart from Jesus, it, your even the best notions about a loving God are kind of vague notions of a loving God. Jesus comes along and he says, actually, your, your inheritance goes much deeper. There's an intimacy known only in Abba that I want to give you. And, and that intimacy comes through a gift I have for you. It's called the spirit of adoption, the spirit of sonship, the spirit of daughterhood. And even though the light loves you and you've turned to light, now I'm going to take and I'm going to put that, that spirit in there, the spirit that cries out, Abba, this is my Papa. And so there's a new kind of intimacy 
and, and a new sense of inheritance that you can enjoy that is yours already, but you know it in Jesus. That's one reason he, he felt there's an advantage in sharing the name, why he was an evangelist. The other was assurance. In knowing the name, we enjoy the full assurance of our salvation on the basis of what Christ has done. So I think what he means there is, is that now Barb's an extreme exception because in her knowledge of, uh, in her knowledge of love, she, you felt the love and you felt the acceptance and you felt the forgiveness and you felt all of that. And I'd say that's like, that's a, that's an exception. But even in your case, it's like find out. And by the way, he died to make this, to, to, to defeat death. So you never need to be afraid again. And, and maybe that was natural in your first meeting with him even. But that's what Christ has for everyone. And to understand what does the love of God look like, it looks like that one on the cross saying to his father, forgive my torturers even while they're doing it. And to know that this one went into Hades and came back and he's alive now. And so we don't go to an empty tomb. We come to this house and know he's alive because he's here now. And, and, uh, and so, so is there an advantage to sharing the name? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There is an advantage. But, but at the same time, it's like we don't have to negate everything that happens before knowing the name. Um, I'll just finish with, with uh, John's witness in 1 John, his first epistle. Here's a closing scripture, and we'll do Q&A. From the very first day we were there, Taking it all in, we heard it with our own ears, saw it with our own eyes, verified it with our own hands. The Word, the Word of life appeared right before our eyes. We saw it happen. Now, we're telling you this, that we, what we witnessed was incredibly this. The infinite life of God himself took shape before us. This isn't vague universe out there. This is universe, cosmic Christ, become flesh to identify with you and co-suffer with you and walk with you and empathize with you. We saw it, we heard it, and now we're telling you so you can experience it with us. This experience of communion with Abba and his son, Jesus Christ. Our motive is just this. We want you to enjoy it too. Your joy will double our joy. Amen. Hallelujah. All right. Hallelujah.